This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm great, Conrad. You looks like you're doing well there in your man cave. Yes, sir. Surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of artifacts. <laughs> well, I don't know about all you, that. At least you got them organized. I, that's what I respect and admire. That's good. And all those belts, you know, it's, it's cool stuff, man. So I wish I had been as diligent as you in my youth, because I had a chance to collect so many cool things. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I did quite frankly, but, but I, I could have done so much better. And so now I'm worried about what am I going to do with it when I'm no longer alive? I got to figure that out. So I got some buddies that are brainstorming that concept. I'm thinking about getting a, uh, what do you call these? Uh, let me think about the, uh, these guys that come in the estate people where they yeah. come in to, and they, they inventory it. They give it a price, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I'm thinking about doing that. And, uh, just to make sure I'm, I don't want my kids to be stuck with this stuff. When OJR is no longer around, it's something else you got to worry about. Well, you know, I've, uh, I've offered to take some of that off your hands for cash money and you just, you know, you won't take my money. So I want to keep working on it. I feel bad about doing that. Why? Well, we're buddies or we're, we're like relatives and. Well, I'd, I'd rather give you the money than it go to a stranger. I mean, I'll give you fair market value. What's the holdup, Jim? Come on. <laughs> Listen, we're going to have fun today. We're talking about judgment day, 2001 and 2001 is such a great time in the WWE to talk about because seemingly it's uh it's like an old novel, right? It's the best of times. It's the worst of times where, you know, we've been to the top of the mountain just in this same year, biggest WrestleMania ever. And fast forward just a month later and things, they are a changing. Um, we just covered backlash 2001 where Steve Austin and triple H walked away with the tag team titles, uh, just last month. And just last week we covered the raw after this show where triple H tears his quad, uh, yeah. the, the, the whole company is going to shake up even further. So as a reminder, we pick up WCW at the end of March, six days later, biggest WrestleMania ever. This is the follow-up effort for the pay-per-view where, you know, we're going to be talking about Austin and, um, and, and, and what's happening with his character, because when he turned the business turned, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fans weren't ready to, to make that decision. Okay. Now I'm supposed to dislike this guy now, right? I've loved him forever. I mean, and that was a passionate commitment from the fans to Stone Cold. And look at it from a booking perspective. You know, at that time I was booking all the live events. Uh, and so then you lose rock, you lose Babyface Austin, you lose triple H. I mean, hell, you know, that's, that's the roster became decimated in a matter of seemingly, seemingly days, but it made it very much more of challenging. And I think that where we made a mistake creatively 
is that uh, we kept trying to replace Austin, and he was irreplaceable. There's no doubt. It should have been the time where a lot of guys got their break. Right. And really got the old proverbial WWE rocket ship, you know, rocket ship to their ass so they could facilitate their push. And I, I don't think we did a very good job with that. I mean, Austin pointed it out, which is why he wanted to turn heel to have some fun, do something different. I get that, but he didn't have, he didn't have baby face opponents. So we had not done a good job of preparing for the worst case scenario. And you learn cowboy bill Watts taught me that a long time ago. You got a book with the worst case scenario in mind. Uh, and so you can land on your feet as best you can. Right. We tried that, but again, how do you replace three guys or three hall of famers? It's not easy. As a matter of fact, it really can't be done. Well, let's jump into it, man, because there's so much to unpack, but first I want to talk about your broadcast partner. You know, Paul Heyman had been the, uh, I think you've referred to him before, sort of the Jim Jones of wrestling. He had everybody drinking the Kool-Aid, et cetera, et cetera. Now with the King out, uh, Paul Heyman fills his spot. He is your broadcast partner here, but his old corporation that owned ECW, uh, the parent company for ECW is going to file for bankruptcy during this time. Are you even discussing any of that business with Heyman or is that something that you just wouldn't bring up? I don't recall that being a topic of conversation, Conrad. It was, would not be a pleasant conversation. Uh, the act of filing bankruptcy is fairly, fairly self-explanatory. I didn't know, didn't think that we needed to discuss, uh, his business because it really, uh, affected his family. His dad had put so much money into the, uh, ECW brand and, uh, they were under finance from the get go. They're always the old dog chasing its tail scenario. He just couldn't. Just kept going around in circles, band-aiding it up. So no, we didn't talk about it, uh, to any degree. I might've said something, you know, or, or show a support or something like that. Uh, but you know, he, he was a pleasant, uh, Paul was a big asset for us and he still is obviously for, for WWE. Uh, but he helped, he helped divert some of the attention of, of lost talents because he, people had a new sound to listen to. And I thought he did a fantastic job from day one. You know, I, I saw that in Atlanta when the booking committee didn't want to deal with him. I took it and, uh, I, I enjoyed what we did in Atlanta. I thought we did a good job and it was a great contrast how he sounded and how I sounded, uh, me being the quote unquote baby face, him being the established heel uh, without any gray area. He wasn't always trying to be funny or get himself over. He loved to stir the shit and in a good way, which is what, a you know, he got talent over. He gave you a better reason to dislike the, the bad guys. <laughs> Let's talk about something else that makes some headlines here. Bob Costas has Vince McMahon on and Bob can't wait to sort of poke the bear about the XFL. And he also talked about the WWE's risque sort of attitude era content. And there are a lot of people who are wrestling fans who think that McMahon sort of put Bob in his place. Other people thought, boy, this did not age. Well, I mean, this was, this was not a good outing for Vince McMahon. What say you, do you remember coming out of that thinking, oh shit, what has Vince done? Or is it more of a good fuck Bob Costas? Well, <clears throat> 
I'm not sure what any, how much good came out of that conversation, to be honest with you. Certainly, Vince was bold and honest and upfront. Uh, but man, I just, I did I, I couldn't, I couldn't equate to what good came out of it. I thought it was a little bit embarrassing, uh, but I understand Vince's motivation and cost us taking shots and uh, Vince played right into his hand, ironically, uh, cause that's what cost us one was confrontation, you know, controversy. Somebody once said controversy creates cash. I heard that before. And I think that's exactly what Costas was looking for as Vince provided it. So, but at the end of the day, I didn't see any great value other than if anything, it enhanced the character of Mr. Mc, Mr. McMahon, right? The heel. And so it's easy to say, or make a case for that. Vince was just staying in character as a villain. And again, I've said this many times and I believe it. I'm not kissing his ass. I, you know, I had. 26 years at WWE, I'm, not, I'm done. And I, and I say that respectfully and, 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 and very proud. I had a 26 year run working for him, but you know, I, I, I think he's the best heel we had in, in the attitude era. And I, I know that he didn't hurt his heel persona by doing the costas thing because he came off as a, as a real prick. Let, let me ask, you know, this sounds silly, I'm sure, but it's worth asking, you know, whenever you have a political candidate who's going to go out and make appearances, or if you have a celebrity who is going to have to get in front of some bad news or some controversy, and they're going to do like a bit of a PR tour, sometimes a public relations department or a quote unquote handler would make sure that they have some coaching on now. Here's how we want to address this. <laughs> and here's some phrases you might want to use, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that happens for Vince McMahon here. Oh, really? He loses his temper, which is not something you normally see people do in this circumstance. But we, we listeners who don't know Vince McMahon, not like you do, certainly we, we're all fascinated with his demeanor and the way he handles his business. And there's so many legends out there about, oh, he gets frustrated with sneezes and there is no sick and blah, blah, blah. So I'm saying all that to say. On the heels of a poor appearance like this, where Vince does not come off as the CEO that maybe you would want, do people get in his ear or did you have the relationship where you could say, you know, Vince, what are we trying to accomplish with these? Should we rethink these? Does that exist? No. Okay. Doesn't exist. And he had no filter. And, and I don't think that he would have listened to anybody anyway. He was, he's, he is was and always will be, uh, the one and only voice of authority there. He can make any decision he wants to make without having to go to a, a caucus or a committee or whatever. And I don't know who on staff, uh, would have had the expertise to tell Vince what he should or should not be doing, to be honest with you in that world. So no, I don't, nobody talked to him about, it. I, I look, I work, I met with him every day, every single day almost every day for 26 years, uh, in some form, text, phone call in person, all that stuff on the plane, in the limo. Uh, and I know you've heard all this from Bruce, Bruce, uh, I love how Harvey used to call him Bruce. Harvey did not like Bruce. Who did? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's, he's all right. He's just Brucey. Yeah. 
He doesn't know who he is. He thinks someday, I told you this before, he thinks he's Tommy Rich. He thinks he's me, the, the red ass JR. He loves, see, that's, we've given him another character. We've given him another character, Conrad, through the airways of this wonderful broadcast. He's got somebody else to make fun of. So good for him. So he don't have a fucking clue who he is. All the way down, I told you, I love to, I love to make him laugh because I love Bruce. I really do. We've been around. We've done a lot of things together. Right. I used to tell him, say, Bruce, you're high as a kite, just like me. Why do we need to smoke more? What are we going to prove by having another one? And we're, we're already goddamn amoebas <laughs> in search of a Whataburger. Oh, my gosh. I'm best. an amoeba in search of Whataburger. Uh, so anyway, uh, but Bruce knows that drill. Once you get joined at the hip, just like he is now, it's everlasting. So you got to give up some to get some and to get that big money. You got to give up a lot time, family time, et cetera, et cetera. Now the good news for Bruce right now is his kids are grown. Yeah. So that helps a lot. Uh, when you don't have young children to go home to and be daddy, you still gotta be daddy, but it's in a different context. Yes. So, uh, but no, nobody was there to censor Vance. I'm sure that some of his sycophants and which were many in number, and I assume there still are, would have stepped up and said, you know, oh, that was great boss. Oh, that was great boss. Or, hey boss, that was great. So stuff like that, but I didn't humor him. I just stayed away from it. I had nothing good to say about that performance. It could have been used as a great entertaining sales piece, awareness piece, but it came away with. Did we really build the WWE or just all about Vince and Bob Costas? And I would choose the latter in that those two selections. It wasn't good. Conrad. It was not. Let's talk about yourself. This is uh, something we've hinted around about a little bit, but now it's Uh-oh. time to really talk about it. Yeah. Jim Ross has spent the past two weeks with meetings in Atlanta and Los Angeles, put together, putting together the talent end of the new WCW organization which is tentatively being targeted for the June 13th relaunch taping for an air date on June 16th. Ross met with Rob Van Dam, his wife and agent Michael Meltzer for the first time on April 25th. And the Ross report described the meetings as very positive. There was a major roadblock dating back to the few shows. Rob Van Dam worked for the WWF while being part of ECW, including refusing to do a job at a television taping. Van Dam and Sabu ended their WWF relationship on a bad note with Vince McMahon, but that was several years ago. Ross had one phone conversation with Meltzer several months back, and it appeared there was no interest in him. The reality is let's just time out right there. Do you remember there being quote unquote heat brother on Rob Van Dam and Sabu for our, the little cross promotion stuff y'all did back in 97? Of course. Somebody refused to do a job. The most elementary thing in wrestling. And you know, it's, it's over, it's overstated sometimes. And I know the boys listen to the show will say, well, Jr. you weren't a worker. You don't know what it's like. I know what I sure as fuck know what it's like. Uh, you know, I represented over a hundred talents in that company for a long time. I know what it's like. I hear it. I see it. I feel it. I communicate about it, but when they came in and it, they didn't want to do the job. As I understand it, it wasn't communicated very civilly. It was very defiant. 
EC dub, EC dub, fucking EC dubs broke. They did, they, 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 did they ever make any money? They must, they sure as I can say this con- conclusively, they sure as hell didn't make enough to pay their bills. So, you know, I, I'm not blasting this ECW in general, but I mean, come on, my God, it's not the NWA. So, uh, and to come in with that attitude didn't bode well for those guys. And I would have loved to have both guys on the roster. Uh, they're they're They were box office type attractions and, and Rob Van Dam just, you know, without singling out Sabu, because he is the, di- you can't compare them really. They're different styles or different talents. Uh, but golly, man, uh, uh, Van Dam's a player. Yeah. So all along. You know, I could always talk to Vance and say, you know, this kid's got something and we need a baby face. We need baby faces that could come in and, and turn heads and get people's attention. And so that was how, kind of how the Rob Van Dam door opened back up was me lobbying for him. And, uh, at least I was, that's my take on it. I know that I never spoke negatively to either guy. But I did especially like RVD because he was so damn unique. He was very durable. And, uh, and so I always like Rob and Rob, you know, hiding in that, behind that puff of smoke, uh, with his 420 stuff, uh, that, that should not be how he was judged, you know, if, cause we had to get rid of everybody that smoked weed in that company. That'd be a very small roster. Uh, and uh, I'm not bitching about that. You'd, you know, you'd rather have those guys go to their room and smoke a bone as to go, uh, on a drinking spree at a strip club. That makes no sense because you're marked. You get out, the boys get out worked by the women in those strip bars. They, it, it, it happened all the time. All of a sudden guys got to say, Hey, JR, can I get more of a draw? Cause I think we used to give the guys like $200 draw or something if they needed it just for some miscellaneous expenses. But now when they go out at one of those little forays. The two hundred dollars wasn't enough to cover their tab. They needed some money to get home on. So you know, uh, I like Rob, and I still like Rob. He's he's got a great documentary out that you can watch online. It's pretty cool. I saw it in the early early goings, and uh, so anyway, uh, it was a situation where I wish we could have taken care of this a little earlier. But at the end of the day, we finally got Rob signed. We got him in, and he had a nice run, made some money, and and. Uh, off we went. Any memories of working with Michael Meltzer, his agent? You know what? You mentioned that name. You know, there's only one Meltzer that dominates yeah. the uh pro wrestling scene, and that's Dave. Uh I don't I, I say this respectfully, Conrad. I don't remember him. I I couldn't pick him up of a police lineup. If you had Michael Meltzer's fat head in your office right now. I'd have to ask you, who's that guy? I got, you. I don't remember. Let, let me ask, do you remember? I mean, obviously we know the WCW things not going to wind up working out, but when you were having those preliminary discussions, did you think, Hey, perhaps he could be a guy who could lead us on the WCW side of things, or did you want him in the WWF camp? I want him in the WWF camp because he didn't have significant long-term ties to WCW. Right. Like a lot of guys did. You know, he was an ECW guy. Uh, you know, pretty much first and foremost, even though he'd worked at other places. Yeah. Uh, but 
but no, I want him in WWE. We needed the baby faces, Conrad. We needed somebody to get over. And I thought he could help us most as a company by getting over as a baby face in WWE. Let's talk about, uh, the other meetings. Meltzer would write. There was also a meeting with Brad small, the agent who represents Booker T DDP, Johnny ACE, Billy Kidman, and Chris Canyon. Each of the aforementioned people have different issues. Canyon's contract with time Warner expired last week. So he's basically a lock to go in. Ross has made it clear to virtually everyone he's negotiated with that the salaries offered will not be in the league of what they're used to earning, but there is potential to earn more. If the new company is successful, many people involved with the meetings with Ross have noted that he's not tried to snow them with the idea they'd be making more and brings up potential negatives. And most felt they were being dealt with more honestly than typical wrestling negotiations. That's a nice thing to hear. Is it not? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Yeah, it's got a, it is, uh, my dad said, if you don't tell lies, you've got to remember what you told the guy. Yeah. Just telling the truth. And, uh, you know, everything was so up, up in the air is, is a, a minor and a mild way of describing our situation. You know, we knew what we wanted to do was a separate, was to create a separate brand and have those two brands run separately, uh, and independently. And so then maybe once or twice a year, they would pass across in a world series, uh, you know, playoff type, uh, uh, pay-per-view type deal, but we weren't sure that was going to happen because we didn't have TV secured, getting a television outlet in the days before all this massive streaming, uh, was not as, as easy as it might be now. Uh, so, uh, I, 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 I was always honest. I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, how this is going to work out, but the, here's the deal. Uh, the guys you just mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Booker was a high priority, high priority for me. Uh, and, uh, DDP had, had, had amassed a nice body of work without question in WCW he had self-made guy. I've always said that, uh, uh, Dallas page is probably the greatest overachiever inside the ring as anybody I've ever been around considering that he started so late, mm-hmm. uh, at this level and got better and better and, and improved his game. Uh, so he was another layup you want to bring in, uh, Lauren, was a, going to be assistant to me, not looked at him to do any wrestling. Uh, Kidman was a cruiserweight and ended up being a 
guerrilla position type guy, administrator, producer, what have you. Uh, but the cruiserweights didn't bring a lot of, at that time, did not bring a lot of cachet with them. And then, uh, and, and Canyon had, was, was a, you know, a great frame six, three or four, uh, you know, I didn't know all of his issues, had no idea. Uh, if I had to do all over again, a lot of hires, I'd go back and do a more thorough background check. Not that he was doing something illegal, but he had some drug issues. And, and then he also, uh, was, you know, everybody made a big deal out of him being gay. I didn't give a shit. Right. I think, well, I care. It didn't matter to me. So, uh, and it shouldn't matter to anybody else. Who do you it's remember irrelevant. making a big deal out of him being gay? What's that? Who do you remember making a big deal? Out uh, of well, him? he was gay. The boys would go off the record and whisper, you know, Jerry's he's gay. And I'd say, I didn't know that, but thanks for telling me. What do you say? You know, uh, and so I mean, he was a very talented guy. Yeah. You know, I think the dark side's doing some stuff on him this year. Uh, cause my buddy, Raphael Morphy's on the, got, they interviewed him for it. Raphael and Canyon went to high school or junior high together. Yeah. They were oh. tight, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're good, good friends. They grew up in the same neighborhood. It's hard for you and I to, to, to process that to some degree, because I grew up in the country and you grew up in Huntsville. Or, or parts unknown. Yeah. But Alabama and in a neighborhood in, in the Northeast, those are different things. Big time. Yeah. Those neighborhoods in the Northeast have their own personality, their own, you know, traits, uh, all those things, the kids playing ball, being outside, hanging out with their buddies. So, uh, but all those guys came recommended as far as not being pains in the ass, but I knew that uh, the, if I got one guy out of that group, I wanted Booker T. Uh, but I had no issues with the other dudes, Brad small. I've used Brad small as he's a attorney that works for my agent, Barry Bloom from time to time. So Brad and I, over the years have become friends and, uh, I don't know, I had to go back and look at the timeline, but I think Brad might've been involved in, uh, structuring one of my book deals. So I had a, I knew he was honest. I knew he wasn't going to try to bullshit me. I wasn't going to try to bullshit him. Uh, so I enjoyed working with Brad small. He's still out there in LA doing great work and, uh, I'm happy he's my friend. So good, good dude. So it was a, it was an interesting uh, set of meetings. You know, the, the meetings in Atlanta was held with the, uh, Ritz Carlton, believe it or not. I got a suite at the Ritz Carlton, took my little angel Jan with me and we went back to where we used to live, went to all of our favorite place to eat. And, uh, I remember having a real funny dinner with Jim Barnett one night with her, she and Jan, Jim Z and me, uh, and I bring those guys up have they'd have meetings, would have me, I'd have meetings with them. And all you're trying to do is just find out, you know, where their heads are and sure. Can you, do you look me in the eye when you talk to me? Uh, are you honest? Do you still think he, are you insistent that you got one more big push in you? I've got another big run, JR. I got one more run. I know it. I know it. And, uh, you know, and maybe unfair to them. I had them penciled in to be someplace else in the lineup. And if you exceed my expectations, hell, we all win. That's great. So those are some interesting times. And, uh, but I, as we got farther into this transition, I felt like the separate brand was becoming a 
it's going to be hard to uh, achieve because the lack of a great television clearance. If you haven't, if you don't have TV, what do you got? You got to have talent and television. Yeah. Well, I was trying to get the talent, but we didn't have a TV outlet secured. And that was the kiss of death on that whole invasion thing, because we had nowhere else to go with that second show. Do you remember Paul Heyman trying to sell you on the fact that there was still ECW talent out there? I mean, it's more than just your traveling buddy. It's more than just your broadcast partner. Uh, he's probably, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Did he campaign for any ECW talent that you recall when he knows that you're meeting with a bunch of WCW guys? Uh, yeah, well he, yeah. And, and I wanted to hear that feedback. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get, we're, we were not going to get all we needed from the, uh, WC get WCW guys that we were interested in. You know, I, it's, I use a baseball analogy a lot in these areas of conversation. I didn't go out and drone and, and beat the bush for a number seven or eight or nine hitter. I needed somebody that could be a main event person and realistically viably become somebody that could theoretically work on top in a pay-per-view and of that group that we talked about here to me, Booker T was the most viable option to fill that void, whether he's a baby face or a heel. Uh, so, you know, Booker T had great, uh, he just was a professional and I, I enjoyed the hell out of talking with him and being around him. And, uh, I just felt he had something special more over than the other guys. And that's not taking a shot at these other guys. You know, I'm not shitting all over DDP or whatever whatsoever, but you gotta have a priority. Now, at the end of the day, I'd like to have them both because DDP was such an overachiever that Lord knows, uh, how hard he would have worked if he got him in the right program, but creative killed him off in the beginning with that, uh, stalker horseshit. you know, it's so unrealistic. It's not even, you know, it's just not even viable. It's embarrassing, quite frankly. So yeah, Paul talked about it, you know, about these guys and that guy, I don't, I don't know that that's how I hired Taz. Or, or the Dudleys or some of those other cats. I saw talent. I didn't have to somebody tell me that Taz is good. I knew, I knew that I watched, I was a fan of his work and, and the Dudleys, uh, I thought had unlimited potential. They could expand their arsenal and their repertoire is they didn't need to be so dependent on tables, even though that's what got partially got them over, but they had so much more skill and talent to get, to go beyond that. And they did. They became a hell of a tag team for us. And I love Bubba and Devon's uh, durability. So, uh, and, and they're tough, physically tough. So I, uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot, you know, and I, and you can hear that passion, even when Bubba broadcasts with Dave LaGreco on busted open, you can hear that passion that Bubba still has. And again, I'm surprised somebody, I'm surprised somebody brought him in for a one-off or a short-term run or something like that. Cause he would help a lot of guys in the ring. Uh, but you know, he's a strong, strong personality and he, for some people that might be, uh, daunting to manage Conrad. It wasn't for me. Cause I just I was always straight up with Bubba and he'll tell you that, uh, no bullshit. And I didn't tell him everything he wanted to hear. It wasn't the truth. Uh, but you know, we, we took good care of those guys, but Heyman obviously is going to pitch for his people. I'll say this about the ECW alumni. They're damn sure loyal. 
And, you know, they are really, they still believe that if this thing had gone this way, a little tweak here, a little tweak there, that this still be in business and, and doing very well as a national company. I never saw that because the product was so slanted to men, 18 to 34 with the violence and stuff. So yeah, Heyman was always a good representative, always pitching something. Talk to me about injuries. It feels like in this era, the injury bug is biting harder than ever. You've got a whole ton of guys uh, that you're listing in your Ross report that are having troubles. Uh, we'll call it a rash of injuries. The injury yeah. bug had bit the company. What would you attribute that to, you know, over the years, it's been said that the company changed rings a few times, perhaps, you know, I've even seen some guys say, oh, it was like taking bumps on concrete. It wasn't what some would call a, a classic Southern bump and wrestling ring. Uh, and then I've seen others who say, no, it's because we were trying to do too much. Where did you fall on that? Well, first of all, uh, one of the first things I did as head of talent relations was to change the rings out. That, uh, the old Hogan ring, I always could quit it to Hogan and Bundy. Yeah. It was hard. It was hard as a rock and, uh, not very, uh, wrestler friendly. And you got to take care of wrestlers backs. Yeah. It's funny how so many things Conrad in with a back bump, a flat back as the boys call them. So, uh, I think that, uh, the, the issue could well, cause that was illuminated. The, the hard ring thing can't be used as an excuse because it wasn't that long after I got that job that we, we, we swapped those babies out to more bump friendly rings, but we wanted the bumps to happen in the ring Conrad. Right. And the guys opened the envelope up so much. They're taking big bumps on the ring apron or taking big bumps on the concrete. They're taking big bumps on the rampway and, and nowhere in wrestling. Are you trained to do that? It's illogical and you're flirting with disaster when you do. Mm-hmm. And then when, as our product evolved, we became a very, uh, diverse, uh, as far as that stuff is concerned, everybody was out trying to top the other guy. And when you're doing things to the top rope to the outside and you're landing on concrete and a human body, uh, there's this, it's inevitable. Something bad's going to happen if you do on a cumulative basis. So I think we just try to do too much and the talents, uh, got a little bold. I, I see it today a lot. Yeah. You wonder why, when it was really special, I, the people think I'm such an old fucker that I don't like, uh, you know, that I don't like that group gathering on the outside where then somebody goes over the top row and they land in a, in a cluster. When, if, when I first saw it, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. But when you see it on a regular basis, almost on a weekly basis in somebody's TV wrestling show or not, whomever it may be that all of a sudden it's not as spectacular as it used to be. Yeah. You're callous to it. Yeah. You, you get, it's, you come, you know, you're vaccinated. Yeah. It's not the great shock anymore. So when I say that about this stuff, people think, oh, he's just old past this passing by, and, you know, AEW needs to get rid of JR, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. At least I hope not. That's not much. It won't be my decision. Uh, I love what I do, but I, you try to help guys to say, you know, what you're doing is some of the things you do are really spectacular. Why don't you do them more 
infrequently, Connie. Yeah. So that when you do do it, it has more significance and guys are so paranoid about that stuff that they, that's not good enough re- answer or not a good enough, uh, a reason. So, you know, I just think we're trying to do too much <clears throat> and guys started getting bad backs, hips, you know, things like that. It's, it was tough. Let's talk about your other broadcast partner. We touched on Heyman. Jerry Lawler is now doing radio appearances. He's talking about his issues with the company. I know that you tried to talk to him a little bit the day he ultimately walked out. Has he cut off communication with you at this point? Are you still trying to reach out to him and have conversations and just keep a dialogue going? He didn't try to, no, he never cut off communications. He wanted to come back to work. Right. And he knew at some point in time, if he's going to come back to work, it's going to be working with me. So he kept, he's smart. He's an old, he's a, he's a, he's a smart old pro. So he was singing a story on the, to others. And, uh, you know, he became, uh, famous. He, he, Jerry was always going to be famous in that his region, but he really hit big when he got on WWE TV. Yeah. You know, our ratings are, or at times, uh, terrific. And, uh, he just, uh, but we were friends, Conrad, you know, we, we shoot the shit about the Browns. He's a big Browns mark. And I kind of am now too, with Becker Mayfield, the quarterback, my boy from Oklahoma. Uh, but we talk football or what's going on women. Tell me a little bit about what you're talking about here though. When he's on the outside looking in. He sees, you know, Hey, the show has gone on without me. Now Heyman's in there and by all accounts, he's doing a great job. And I don't, I don't think the wheel has completely run off with him and Stacy yet, but it's probably not what he hoped it would be. Are are y'all having conversations about that? Or when you catch up, are you just not talking about work and just talking about everything else that friends might do? I think the latter, Yeah, you know, he, he knew that I couldn't hire him back. That's Vince's call. And, uh, how that worked its way out was going to be yet to be determined. So we didn't discuss, and that was part of our, we both had the same attitude in that regard. We did not discuss at length, anything that neither of us could control. Yeah. So, uh, I just thought it was just a matter of time before, uh, Lawler would be brought back. And unless I was moved to SmackDown. And he was put there. He'd be working with me and Heyman would stay on raw with somebody else or Heyman would go to SmackDown and Lawler would come back in and take his chair and, uh, in, on raw. I, I, I had confidence all along. It was going to happen in some shape, form or fashion, but I couldn't make it happen. And Jerry knew that. So we just, we talk about general stuff and yeah, we're talking about business and be like, Hey, uh, I bullshit. Are you ready to come back to work? Yep. I was always ready. I didn't want to leave. Okay. So I don't go that road. Yeah. We, we, we discussed this ad nauseum. I get it. You didn't want to leave. I understand. I didn't want you to leave either, but you didn't listen and you were loyal to your wife at that time. Yeah. That's what I wanted to ask is, uh, I wonder from your perspective and obviously, you know, we, we need to talk about this in context. 20 years ago, he was with Stacy. That was his wife. But did you have the attitude of, well, is that really a relationship that's going to last? Did you have your doubts about 
the long-term viability of that relationship? And did you sort of reconcile it to say, King, are you really going to throw away a really great opportunity on a temporary situation? No, hell no. They were married Conrad. Yeah. What the fuck am I Dr. Phil now? No, I'm not saying that, but it feels like Vince McMahon sort of assumed, or maybe yourself assumed that, Hey, we're going to fire your wife, but you can still stick around that. He was going to go for that. And he didn't obviously. Right. Uh, no, I, I was surprised when he, when he left, you know, him going home for a week to be with her for a week and, and, and get her cause nobody said that she would, she couldn't, or wouldn't going to come back. Right. It's wrestling. God almighty. You're around us egomaniacs enough to know it's <laughs> fucking wrestling Conrad temporary. Yeah. Everything's temporary. Yeah. So no. And, and that would have been, that would not have been my place to say something like that. You know, uh, Jan and I are very friendly with Jerry and Stacy. We went to their wedding in Las Vegas, paid for by Charles Barkley. Uh, <laughs> true story. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, we, I just didn't feel that would be my place whatsoever. Now look at Lawler's track record with his marriages and, his, and the women in his life. You can say, well, you know, let's just take, a, let's just rewind it here a little bit, go back down the road that you just traveled. I wasn't my place to say that. Right. This was been, it's not, it's not what you say to friends. So consequently, uh, no, that was never discussed, but we understood each other so well, just like we did on the air, things could go unsaid and still get done. And that was kind of where we were. I knew he wanted to come back to work. I knew that the chance is always going to be there as long as he didn't. I, I think I may have told him, you know, don't shit the bed on these, all these interviews, mm-hmm. be careful what you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and cause at that point in time, you wonder, is he trying to defend Stacy or is he just trying to continue to keep his name out there so that when the call did come, he was, he was, the table was set and eventually that happened. I don't know how long he would have gone that long. Was he gone a year? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have it in front of me, but we have talked about Jerry Lawler, by the way, check it out in the archives over grillingjr.com. Let's talk about insurrection. WWE has a pay-per-view over there. Uh, around this same time between the last pay-per-view backlash and this one judgment day, uh, does that one in particular stand out? I only ask because it makes the observer that somewhere in here, you started to, uh, make the observer as being reported as being ill. Did you have a situation, uh, over in England during this time? Or am I thinking about another trip? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. I had a Bell's palsy attack. Tell us about that. Uh, 
Well, you know, the, I guess Bell's palsy affects people differently, uh, and their symptoms and so forth. But it, it, one of the things that comes with it, Conrad is like a migraine level headache. And you're very, very sensitive to loud noises. Uh, almost swear like a dog, you, oh, oh, that kind of deal. You know, if you shot a gun behind a dog and wasn't looking tails between the leg, it's running off, scared the hell out of them. Yeah. I can't think I'm going to, I said, is this another, is this Bell's palsy or is this, a, this is really a stroke. So I had, uh, I had a Bell's palsy attack in England. I think this was the one I know I had one in England and, uh, and I, that I was at the one or trying to think that might've been the one that, uh, where my mother died on that trip. When did she pass away? I think they're in this era right here. Okay. That, that's the story that I remember you telling, but I wasn't sure if the timeline lined up and it's, it's not something I can just throw in my Google machine. So me was, neither. I, and I don't, I didn't put it down to memory. Yeah. I can tell you that I had, I had a Bell's palsy attack in England. It might've been on this trip. I, I finished the show holding my face up like this so I could, I could be legible, more legible. My head was killing me. I was, uh, your mom passed away on December 5th, 1998. Okay. So that wouldn't have been it, but no, it was after that. Uh, it's funny. The older you get, you start blocking that shit out. No, I, I get it. You know, uh, I know how that works, but anyway, yeah. And, uh, so that was the deal. I just, I've had three bouts of Bell's palsy and, uh, all have been well documented on television in one shape, form or fashion, more often, not as complimentary as, uh, I would like just to leave it alone and get healthy, but, uh, you know, the show must go on as they say. So, but I, I do remember getting sick over there, having another attack. And I remember flying back on the uh, air McMahon and. Uh, as soon as I landed, Jan was there to pick me up and we went straight to a neurologist that WWE had arranged to me to go see immediately. I think that's where I first discovered prednisone. Mm. And if anybody has Bell's palsy or gets Bell's palsy, most neurologists recommend prednisone. It's a steroid. And, uh, so I, I, uh, got, I got treated. I did physical therapy, I did acupuncture, and I finally got back on the air, but I wasn't healthy. I saw some tape the other day. And by the way, folks, if you get tape of me with my face all uh, paralyzed and you want to share it with me, please don't. I don't need to see it. I remember it. I still live with it. Can't smile. You know, I went to my high school graduation and my daughter, my granddaughter's high school graduation. <clears throat> and I got to thank you driving to Tulsa from Norman. This little angel's never seen grandpa smile. I've had Bill's palsy our entire life. Wow. So I don't need to be reminded what I look like. I still, I still fight that battle. But anyway, I, I do remember that, uh, that show. And I, I had it before the show. I was having an attack as we were getting ready to go on the air. And I just stayed in the saddle. What else are you going to do? But I compensated. We didn't have many on cameras anyway. So I stayed in the saddle. Helped my face up with my hand and, and tried to represent, uh, the brand and entertain the fans as best I could. It was a tough night. Let's uh, mention the insurrection main event was undertaker, uh, taking on the power trip. So it's a three-way, a handicap match undertaker against Austin and Hunter. 
Underneath, it's Jericho and Regal, Benoit and Kurt Angle in a two out of three falls match. And Benoit won two straight, which is kind of fun. Uh, Bradshaw was working with Big Show. Edge and Christian was taking on, were taking on the Dudley Boys, the Hardy Boys, and X Factor, which back then was just incredible, and X Pac. Uh, Eddie Guerrero was working with Grandmaster Sexay, and the Radicals were taking on the Hollies. Uh, so it was an interesting show. And then we're back on track to Judgment Day. Uh, real quick, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, the XFL it's announced on May 10th that it's closing. Uh, if you had to go back and pinpoint why the XFL failed the first time, is there one thing that stands out above everything else? Like boy, in hindsight, if we could have done blank, that would have made a difference. Yeah. We should have had a, a longer off season or preseason preseason in the hopes that we could improve on field play. We did not have good football. So, and because those teams, I don't want to say thrown together, but they kind of were, and they had very little time to come together as a team and they needed more reps together to offer the one thing, which is your answer here for me. Anyway, we needed to play better football. And then all of a sudden they got really, uh, wrestled up a little bit, you know, Jesse Ventura and. Rusty Tillman, a coach in New Jersey, having a little quote unquote feud that Rusty Tillman hated and didn't want to have any part of it. Uh, so we just didn't play good football. And so we, we started trying to, uh, use little smoke and mirrors and create some other interest in other areas of the presentation that never got over obviously, but my one answer would be play better football. And you got a chance of building an audience. We didn't do that. If you had to categorize creative in this era, as a reminder, Russo's gone. Uh, he left in 99 It's 2001. Uh, but some of the other stalwarts are there. Of course, Brian's there. Bruce is there. I think, um, Kapoor is there. I think, I mean, there's a lot of names that we would recognize that are there, but it did feel like with all the hustle and bustle of ECW's going down, we've acquired WCW. We're thinking of expanding. The XFL's on its ass. Rock's out making a movie. Austin's turning heel. It feels like we're in, I don't know, a bit of a rut. Is creative sale? How would you describe it? Uh, rut's a word you could, you could use probably accurately. Uh, we just weren't prepared, prepared for all the changes at the top of the card. You know, uh, you can lose that. Again, going back to the baseball analogy, if you lose the eight or nine hole hitter, uh, you can, they're easier to replace than your top of the lineup hitters, common sense. So I don't know that they did a bad job, but they didn't have all their cards. They didn't have the deck together. And I think that hurt them and hurt us. And, uh, you know, then there was so much indecision as to, you know, we needed to, to declare one or two baby faces where that proverbial rocket ship was attached and they got momentum with a, with a series of wins. And, uh, that's the, to me, the easiest way of getting talent over is they got to get on a winning streak. They got to, they got to win. They can't be 50, 50 booking. Okay. You slip over using a small package. The guy you're beating is going to kick out at three and a half. Then he's going to stomp your ass. What? Yeah. How many times have we seen that in our every, lifetime? Every Hundreds. Time. Yeah. Right. Time. Makes no sense, Conrad. And so that a lot of that was going on. 
Cause nobody knew who we had nobody to, nobody was declared as the next guy until you have a few guys come in, you know, like you knew Lesnar was going to be, he could be the next guy. Yeah. But, but he was also, uh, green and travel green and social graces, so to speak. He was green in the ring, but he was such a magnificent physical specimen. There was nobody else in the world like him that could do the things he did at 295. that had a D one division one college national championship under his belt. It was known in the amateur world as a killer dominator. So, but you can't just set him there and say, okay, go do your thing. Okay. It's all yours now. He's got to learn to play. Yeah. And of course he did. And, and, uh, and, and has done a great job. Uh, and anybody that thinks we've seen Brock Lesnar for the last time, is probably being a little bit naive. Yeah. He'll be back. They're always back. Let's talk about uh, business for a moment. We, we touched on the backlash episode, how after WrestleMania 17, it fell off a cliff, but that's not really the story with this particular pay-per-view. And I think this goes back to almost the old territory days. Some markets were just hotter than others. Uh, this particular show out in California did pretty strong. Uh, the judgment day buy rate though, had 420,000 buys back in 2000. It's down to four Oh five here. But still 400,000, 405,000 buys on a pay-per-view is huge. Yes. It's 15,000 less, but in the scheme of things, not a huge deal. Uh, but oh. the, the house is bigger. Uh, in 2000, we had a main event of triple H versus the rock. And it was a one hour, hour uh, iron man match where Shawn Michaels was the referee and it built to the return of the undertaker that was in Louisville. And what a hot show it was. We covered it in the archives over at grillingjr.com. Uh, here we've got 13,623 folks. The how the gate is $670,000, which is more than a hundred grand higher than it was in 2000. Now I know that doesn't make any sense, but just me knowing the socioeconomics of Louisville, Kentucky and California, you can charge more for tickets out there. Right, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Tickets, ticket prices are a big issue there. Uh, Conrad. Uh, and you know, we, we, we got, that was a good house Yeah, and it was a good money. So it showed that we had not been completely disassociated from our audience, but they still were waiting on something new. Somebody get hot. Give me another reason to want to watch. Give me somebody that I can invest in. That's a little like Austin as far as not the persona, but the popularity, uh, and the emotional investment. I'll just look at here. That second show in Arco was who, who headlined that? Uh, oh, that's the one yeah. we're talking about today. That's all. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying, but it was all incumbents. Nobody, yeah. nobody was new. Yeah. It's Austin and, uh, and, and, and undertaker up top. There you go. Nothing more needs to be said. Yeah. Cause even in the heyday before Austin turned baby or turned from baby face to heel. It's still stone cold. Yes. And, and to go to see a pay-per-view with stone cold versus the undertaker, uh, even though at times they did not have the greatest chemistry with each other, uh, and both their opinions, I think, and, uh, not that bad matches. It's just didn't you know, jail. That's all. Yeah. That's all styles, all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with effort or they had heat with each other. Oh, Jr. said, let's listen to this Conrad. That. Frankie old bastard said, I think 
Well, let me paraphrase. Well, no, no, just let me make this shit up because it's going to go on the internet and everybody believes everything is said on the internet is pretty fucking factual. So, uh, anyhow, uh, I, we had a good, we had, it's like the cowboy would say, if you got what they want to see, they'll buy a ticket and they'll come see it. And we had what they wanted to see with Taker and Austin because they were two throwbacks to the glory era of attitude. So it, uh, it was a, it was pleasant. We needed that hit and as good, those guys delivered. First up, we got William Regal pinning Rikishi in three minutes and 57 seconds. Meltzer would say this was also more like a quick television match. Uh, amazing how quick Rikishi has fallen from TV main eventer against Austin, all the way to losing clean in the opener in just two weeks. Ross mentioned Rikishi was going in with a shoulder injury. Regal did his usual tough offense with the legit looking forearms and knees. Regal also bled after being hit with the stairs and they built to a stink face spot with Regal doing his great facials with a lot of heat. Regal came back almost immediately with a flying neck breaker, uh, for the pin star and a quarter. Let's talk about Rikishi. Why do you think, you know, this happened so quickly? Is it because he was injured? I mean, that would explain the shortness of the match, right? Oh yeah. I think he's, I think he was, uh, he might've been due for a surgery on that shoulder. Cause I don't think anybody knew exactly how the severity of it. Uh, another point, first match, two really good talents. Yep. Did you really need to go to the stairs in the first match? Nope. Trying to do more. Let's get this in. And it, so the influences, uh, were erroneous. Why the, that was either the agent suggested it or the talent suggested it. I can tell you that I, I, I bet money that Regal didn't suggest it because he's smart enough, fundamentally sound enough. Not that Rikishi wasn't, but you know, God almighty, he used the stairs in the first match. First match. Doesn't make any sense. Next up, we should talk about uh, Kurt angle. He's going to be in there with Chris Benoit and boy, they get plenty of time for this one. 23 minutes and 54 seconds. It's a two out of three falls match. And, uh, Kurt's going to win this match to regain his gold medals. The first fall was pinfalls only. And, uh, then they try something a little different. The second one is a submission finish. And the third and final fall is a ladder match. And of course, edge and Christian come out to uh, help him get the win because they're team Eck. but the concept of it's two out of three falls. But the first fall is pinfalls. The second fall is submission. The third fall. It seems a little convoluted. I agree again, trying to do more, trying to book more, trying to stay a step ahead of what we perceive that the fans wanted to see. I can make my argument that fans would have loved to have seen a, a 24, 25 minute match straight two out of three falls, the two out of three fall stipulation in that era unique enough that you didn't need to dumb it down with a little, a little something in every fall. I, I thought that was another opportunity. It's same illustration as the stairs. Did you really need it? And I say, and when you have a Benoit versus angle, you goddamn sure don't need any gimmicks. Just let them wrestle two out of three falls. So, uh, you know, that was one of those deals. You could have two out of three falls, 30 minute time limit, split falls and go and go to the draw. Right. Theoretically, but you didn't need all the little whistles and bells. 
you got Benoit and Angle. I mean, or, I, what more do you need? What else? What else you need? I understand the concept of, you know, we we want to do two out of three falls. I get that, and I understand the concept of we want to try to um, mix in the submission finish since we've got over the the ankle lock and the crippler crossface. But I think it could have been either or. You know, just you could do the submission in the first fall or the second fall. But the thing that's weird to me is it feels like the company wasn't strong enough or didn't, didn't feel that this match was strong enough to exist without a ladder, like either make it a ladder match or don't make it a ladder match. And I guess the concept is it only becomes viable if someone doesn't go two Oh, which is probably the story they were trying to tell because at insurrection, it was a clean sweep. Normally in a two out of three falls match, everyone who's listening to this has seen one of those. You, you go a B a or B a B. Nobody usually wins too straight. They did that in England and maybe they're saying, well, there might not be a ladder match, but it feels like to me, if we think a ladder match is a, an attraction for pay-per-view, I don't know, just fucking make it a ladder match, right? No, I'm going to make it two out of three falls, right? I don't need your goddamn ladder, put it back in the garage. And I don't need, you know, you can win the match by pinfall. just like you can win any match. Pinfall, submission, count out, disqualification. Uh, and don't start taking things out of all the, well, let's, let's exclude this and let's exclude that. Because then you, you start dealing with uh, the imagination. And you, you, well, they can't do that because they've already said you, they're not going to have this, they're not going to have that. I, I'm telling you, it's a generational type match. Two of the greatest in ring bell to bell performers, Kurt Angle. Chris Benoit being able to see that in a two out of three fall environment, it's a three act play. I don't need your gimmicks and your outside shit. And if the, if there are people in the company at that time that did not believe that Benoit and angle could captivate an audience for three falls in a wrestling match, then, then they are, that's embarrassing. Yeah. That's embarrassing. Wouldn't you love to have that? I'd love to have a match of that level. Now, maybe, you know, of course the Benoit situation is as it is, but I can tell you this right now, if Kurt was younger and in great health and, uh, wanted to go another round, him having a two out of three fall match with someone of Benoit's level, he would salivate for, he would love it because he's a gamer. He's an Olympian. He's an overachiever. And so what a canvas that is, uh, with somebody that, uh, could work. Let's say, uh, you know, uh, I, how would, how would it sound if you did a two out of three fall match with Kenny Omega and Kurt angle? I think right. people would, would, people would buy it. Yeah. Don't you think? And yeah. I don't need your goddamn ladder. I don't need your bathtub, the kitchen sink, you know, no stopping for blood. Every stipulation you can think of to take your eye off wrestling. And I just believe that, uh, that was just a missed opportunity. Next up, we see Jerry Lynn doing a promo from WWF New York, complaining that as light heavyweight champion, he should be on the pay-per-view as opposed to being at this restaurant. And the fans are of course cheering him there, but they're probably supposed to be booing. But I guess that's the idea is anytime you put a quote unquote celebrity in front of a crowd of fans, they're going to cheer. And that's what they did here. Uh, but Meltzer liked the promo. He said, Lynn did a hell of a promo, probably notable because the book on him is he's not a good promo. Yeah. 
Um, Jerry Lynn had great success as far as the longevity of his wrestling career and the quality of his matches and the critical success. And he did it everywhere he went, but he never really got to superstardom status with WWE. Is that based on his size, his look, his work? What was it about him that go ahead? No pure, no, no pure cruiserweight that wrestled on the cruiserweight platform, uh, ever got to that superstar status, except Ray Mysterio. Yeah. Go back in all in the annals of time. What other cruiserweight or light heavyweight or whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use made it. And, uh, but it wasn't because Jerry didn't have talent. I, I, I can't say, name anybody off the top of my head, Conrad, that I respect more in our business today, as we and I speak, than Jerry Lynn. Uh, he's a great uh, coach in AEW. I wish the kids would listen to him more because he's a wealth of information. He doesn't want their spot. He can help them to get better. And, and, but that's what you get when you're coaching young people. They automatically believe that they have it figured out. And this is how it should be done for me. And, uh, they, they're not as open to coaching sometimes as, as they should be quite frankly. So, uh, anyway, Jerry's a, a great talent and now he's a great talent in behind the scenes. And I'm glad that we have him on our, our team, but I've always, I love his work. He got more done with his size and all that things he did made sense. So, uh, you know. Tony Khan made a good hire with, with Jerry Lynn. He's, he's a, he's a keeper, you know, that's our whole eight, you know, Dean Malenko was a cruiserweight. Dean Malenko is probably our top agent, producer, whatever coach, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, so, uh, uh, Jerry's a valuable, valuable now. And, but he was never going to get over, over because the cruiserweight division was never going to be focused on or highlighted. Do you think one of the kisses of death is just the word light heavyweight? I mean, yeah. if, if they don't put that moniker on you, right. Am I making that up? Am I, am I, am I close? Yeah. You know, you're right. Next uh, up. Go ahead. Well, I had that art. I had that debate or discussion with Sean Waltman on more than one occasion. And, and he made a good point. You know, the worst thing could happen to me in my career is to be labeled as that, that I'm a I'm a cruiserweight and a lot of the guys just, they'd run from that title or light heavyweight or, you know, Danny Hodge, my all-time favorite wrestler, two-time Olympian, golden gloves, boxing champion, one of the baddest men to ever walk the face of the earth was the junior heavyweight champion of the NWA. And then there were not that many titles that watered the title pitcher down. So when the, the junior headweight NWA junior headweight champion came to your territory, it meant more than just than it would today because there's so many titles, so many little companies, everybody's got a champion or two or three or four and uh, the championship feel has been, uh, reduced it's been watered down somewhat. So, uh, yeah, I think the cruiserweight thing is not a, in today's world, especially it's not, it's not something that you, uh, you, 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 uh, embrace. That's why I think it's my opinion that the AEW has a TNT championship and not a smaller weight championship. Mm-hmm. 
because God knows we could pull that off, but it wouldn't have the same credence or credibility that the TNT title has. And since that title was initiated, it's grown, it's got more credibility, but it has nothing to do with size. We have nothing in our company in AEW that has to do with size. Cause it's just everybody. If you're, if you're good and you pay a buck 90 or a buck 80 or a buck 60 or whatever, and you get over, nobody gives a shit. I don't say it. You're not going to get over on the scales or as Oakland used to say on the Toledo's. Let's talk about, uh, the next match here. It's Rhino retaining the hardcore title in a three-way over test and big show. They get nine minutes and 15 seconds, believe it or not. And Meltzer would say a lot better than it sounded on paper. Although that was more due to Rhino and test. Finish saw Rhino through a garbage can on, uh, to show who, for whatever reason, and I doubt it was natural instinct of being a wide receiver as a kid caught it and Rhino gored him for the pin star in three quarters, man. You know, once upon a time, big show was your WrestleMania main event. And he came in with a, a whole bunch of steam. Now he's working the hardcore division. Have we just ran out of ideas for big show? Do we no longer see him as a top guy? Why is he relegated to uh, the hardcore division here? The Toledo's too big and you know, a lot of start and stop diets, things that you and I can understand. <laughs> I dieted yesterday for an hour, you know, type deal. That a boy. Polly was, uh, I made that up. Polly's just, a, you know, uh, he, he, he was convinced early on that he was going to be the next Andre. And as a result of that, having that extra weight north of 400 pounds was a good thing. And so we're, we want to keep investing in him. You know, he was, a uh, for his size, super heavyweight, very athletic for his size. Quite frankly, that's from his basketball days. He had, he had good feet. He moved around pretty decent until he got too heavy. And then some of the specialness of him started to wane. So I think that Vince has got very impatient. We we're paying him a lot of money. He was earning great money. And, uh, so the thought was maybe he should take more pride in his health and his appearance, appearance for pro wrestling health for his life. And, you know, we don't need a guy that's going to have, you know, can't pass a physical, not that he couldn't, but if he kept gaining weight, it's inevitable. It's bound to happen. So I think that was probably part of that whole situation was we went back to my old term of reliability. Can a guy that doesn't want to lose weight become really, uh, reliable. And the worst thing you can do is say, well, I want to die and I'm working on it. Then you weigh the same thing or a little bit more the next week. I started having guys weigh in that pissed a lot of guys off. And I, I they say, well, I don't understand why I have to weigh in. I said, how fucking hard is it to stand on the scales? What do you care? We have reasons for these things. So I don't get it. So that's kind of where we, we were there. I think, uh, Paul had just kind of fallen out of favor a little bit with the, with the big guy. Talk to me about Rhino. You know, he's an, an ECW talent who got really hot at the end of ECW and they were probably on their way down. And now here he is getting a win on pay-per-view over a uh, big show and test. What can you tell us about Rhino? Uh, we liked his work ethic. We liked his believability. He was always going to need probably somebody to help him along with his promos. So you, you do that by either getting him a manager, obviously, or you just giving him less to say. So what he says is more impactful. 
He doesn't have to carry a big load verbally. Uh, Terry was always, a Terry Guerin was always a, one of the most popular guys in the locker room, polite, professional on time, reliable. So I think he got his break there because at that time, uh, most of us saw potential in him. Let's talk about the next match because it's a weird one. China and Lita six and a half minutes. Uh, Meltzer would write very weird match. Lita got the biggest face pop of anyone up to this point in the show. And at one point, China used a press slam and went for the pin lifting Lita up at two. Usually that's the signal that the person lifting the person up is going to do the job. And this is a way to protect them showing they could have just as easily won, but they just got too cocky. What the motive for that spot was here when China was going over isn't as obvious, maybe a subtle spot for a heel turn, although that would have been more effective as a part of the finish, as opposed to a spot everyone would forget. They tried doing submissions with Lita doing an arm bar and China doing the old head scissors, but nobody knew what they were doing. Eddie Guerrero came out on the aisle to watch China pinned Lita clean with a power bomb, which seemed like a kind of strange way to book it half a star. You've told us before China didn't want to work with the women, but man, to have her pinned and pick her up at two. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. This is as weak. Conrad. Yeah. It ain't you got it. You've already pointed it out. Shouldn't have happened. Yeah. It was a way for Joni to make sure Joni looks strong and to hell with Lita. And, uh, I, I look, I knew that match is not going to be good when it was booked. Cause Lita is a woman. If you haven't noticed, yes, beautiful, sexy woman, very athletic and very special uh, on our roster. But you know, it's just Joni getting Joni over and lashing, kind of being defiant. Hey, I can do anything I want to do. Cause I got a, I got an end at the office and you know, I got a good report events and all that good stuff. So, uh, you know, she could talk to Vince about, you know, chicken breasts and and doing something on the incline and how much she lifted yesterday. And so they got along well, but we weren't as objective with her as we should have been. I, I just didn't like the fact that you know, for her to be successful in her mind, she had to wrestle and beat men, not just wrestle men, wrestle good men and beat their ass. And to me, I thought that was terribly, uh, misguided. Hey, chat me up about this. And I mean this, like. The China thing, when she goes into this match and, and we know she doesn't want to work with women and we know that blah, 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 when she does the lift spot, I mean, is this China going into business for herself? Is this what have been, I know you're not laying out matches, so I'm just asking you to venture a guess, but was there heat on her for doing this? Was it discussed ahead of time? Do you recall any sort of backlash about the way it was done? I do not. Uh there's always going to be some spots built into the match to, uh, underscore her strength. I mean, look at her. She was muscular, had great definition and she was very strong. She's strongest female in the roster. So I think we're, it was a matter of just trying to accentuate her amazing strength to give us something to talk about in, in a good way for her on her behalf. So there's probably going to always be a strength spot, at least one, if not more built into her matches because that was in the eyes of many, a calling card. So, uh, that was what I would say is just 
that's just how it was laid out. The agent made sure that there was a spot in there that she, we could, uh, accentuate and put over her power. And because that seemed to be her, her top, uh, asset, quite frankly. Next up, we've got Kane pinning triple H to win the intercontinental title match. So as a reminder, triple H comes in here, a tag champ and intercontinental champ, but he's only leaving with that tag team title losing here to Kane in a chain match that goes 12 and a half minutes and Meltzer called it an old school style match. Uh, quote, triple H worked on Kane's arm, including using a chair triple H juiced early from a spot where he was outside the ring and holding a chair and Kane tugged the chain, causing triple H's head to hit the chair. And he did the blade job. At one point, Kane slammed triple H off the barricades onto the mats outside the ring. And Kane used the chain to the groin as a way to block the pedigree. The finish would see Kane use a choke slam, Austin do a run in and triple H use a low blow to set up a spot where he's holding Kane, but Austin grabs a chair, of course, goes to hit Kane. And there wasn't even an attempt to hit Kane visually. And instead he hits triple H with the chair, which of course leads to Kane's title win two and a half stars. So the intercontinental changes hands again here. It's the new hot potato in WWE. And we couldn't just have Kane beat triple H. We've got to have the tomfoolery of, you know, the cerebral assassin being out thought here and, uh, Austin errantly hits him. But I mean, I like the idea of a chain match on pay-per-view and I don't mind the quote unquote color brother. If it's a chain match, that's probably expected. Uh, and, and these are two very capable guys. what do you think of the finish though? Let's have Austin come in and get him involved. Let's not do it clean. Well, trying to further the story, keep adding layers to the Austin triple H, uh, scenario, uh, to get people talking, all those things. Was it, was it necessary? It wasn't necessary. Was all the stuff on the outside and the bumps those guys were taking on concrete necessary? No, but, uh, I'm glad Kane became the intercontinental champion. And then you could divest triple H on that storyline. Get Kane started in a storyline of his own, hopefully down the road, uh, around the intercontinental title. I'm not so sure that the audience was a hundred percent ready to accept Glenn Jacobs as a baby face. Uh, I, we may have pulled the trigger on that one a little, a little early, just in hindsight. So, uh, but you know, I, I understand the, the elements of this match and, you know, uh, getting stone cold involved and. And again, getting furthering that story that he and triple H, uh, and then Kane becoming to spin out as the intercontinental champion. It, it makes, there are, are many levels. that make sense. Uh, and this one here, I would say made a lot more sense to do, to have some outside stuff than where we, we talked about the, uh, two out of three fall match a few moments ago that it had to have a stipulation every single fall. So I, that, that was, I would erase that. But, uh, on this one here, it's, you can always say, well, we'll just keep it clean, but sometimes keeping it clean is not the, the best thing to do. And I think on the, in this case, uh, it kind of made sense. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google podcasts? You should know that the Google podcast app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to. 
be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. Let's talk about the uh, next match. And boy, Benoit was the MVP of this show. He's pulling double duty. Not only did he have a pinfall match with, uh, with angle, he had a submission match with angle and then a ladder match with angle. He's on the losing effort there, but now he's teaming with Chris Jericho to win. What was essentially a tag team gauntlet match to become number one contenders. Benoit, of course, is the mystery partner of Jericho and winds up wrestling five different falls on the night. Uh, the match opens with APA over Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn in just about a minute and a half Farouk gets the pin on Saturn there after a spine buster. Then the APA beat the Dudleys in just under five minutes. They get a lot of the trademark spots in here. And this is actually one of the most heated matches on the show. According to Meltzer, he says Dudleys did the old road warrior doomsday device on Bradshaw and the wise on Farouk and the place goes nuts for the, get the table spot. Uh, but then Bob and crash Holly run out and Bob does the whiplash power bomb on Devon through the table and uh, Bradshaw pins Bubba with the clothesline from hell. So the third match is X factor beating APA and, uh, Meltzer says Bradshaw didn't seem to like selling much for the smaller guys. Albert interferes and ends up leading to the win, tripping Bradshaw and holding his legs to keep him from kicking out when X-Pac covered him. Then, uh, X factor beats the Hardy boys in what's probably a bit of a surprise. Three minutes and 11 seconds is all they get. It's very short. Matt's setting up the twist of fate on X-Pac, but credible hits Matt with the super kick and X-Pac gets the pin. And now it's time for Benoit and Jericho to come out. Of course, Benoit is the mystery opponent. They go just over five minutes. There is a ref bump, but Meltzer still loved it and called it real good. Benoit winds up using the crossface on credible and Jericho's using the walls on X-Pac. So it's a double submission. And now here it is the final fall. Benoit and Jericho are going to take on edge and Christian. They go seven minutes and eight seconds. Another very good match. Meltzer gave it three and a half stars overall. Uh, edge and Christian are going to tease the uh, concerto, but they miss. And Benoit takes down Christian gets that crossface for the submission. And Benoit gets the, uh, the hand raised here. It's a hell of a night for Benoit, five different falls on a single pay-per-view, you know, even though he lost to angle, it's uh, what's the old cliche. It's not who goes over. It's who gets over. This is Chris Benoit's night here. He's a made man, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. It helped make him become a made man. You know, for some of us, he was already made. Yeah. He was made in my view when I hired him. Absolutely. Uh, I've, I've always believed in his work. He's one of those kind of guys. If you, somebody sent you a clip or, or whatever, uh, he was always featured for whatever reason, fans loved his work. I think it was because of his intensity. Uh, he was relentless. You couldn't see through his stuff. It was not weak. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, this is helping enhance all that Conrad. You're right about that. He got, we got, uh, our money's worth out of Chris on that night. And, uh, and he, and again, you know, aside again, taking us, taking aside what happened in the last many hours of his life and how that tragically ended, it's hard to look at Chris's work strictly as work, only as work from bell to bell and cast any aspersions on it. He was that good. Although I think from the first time I saw him, uh, until the last time I saw him, I thought he was always going to be considered a top 10 guy. 
globally, one of the best I ever saw. And he could work with anybody. He'd make guys better because he got them off their ass. He'll beat the shit out of you. If you weren't, if you're trying to take a day off and phone it in with him. <laughs> so, uh, but man, we had some good tag teams. We had some good tag teams. And the nice thing about it is that even in these shorter matches, Conrad, uh, the presentation was pretty damn strong. They, they didn't have time to tell this great long or high arcing story but they got the job done in the time that they were allowed to put their work in. And that's a credit to every tag team in the, in the, in this gauntlet match. It's an incredible roster too. Let's just run through the talent that's in this gauntlet match. Uh, Justin, uh, well, Bradshaw, there you go. Uh, Farouk, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, the Dudley boys, uh, just incredible. Sean Waltman, Matt and Jeff Hardy, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho. The whole lot's full of hall of famers. Yeah. It's remarkable yeah. how deep the tag team division is. Let's get to the main event. We've said before, they don't really gel. They've had some good matches, but mostly just sort of okay matches. This is three and a quarter stars. According to Meltzer, Steve Austin is going to retain his WWF title pinning the undertaker in 23 minutes and seven seconds. It's a no holds barred match. And Vince McMahon comes out for commentary. Let's just take a timeout right there. Did you enjoy when you have a rhythm with your partner and then all of a sudden we add another chair and does it make it even worse when it's Vince or is that better? Because that means he can't fuss at you on the headsets. Oh, I like the fact that he was sitting beside me and not behind the curtain. Yeah. You know, say it, say it, Conrad, you son of a bitch. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't have him sitting there next to me is not. And the other thing about it too, Conrad is that. Remember that, uh, in the, in the past, Vince and Jerry and I were a team. So, you know, it was nothing new. It was something different actually. So I, I had no issues with that. And I'd a lot rather him being sitting next to me with the headset on as him again, directing and performing as he would do sometimes in the gorilla position. That's why all the sick events hung around so they could provide the laugh. They were just laugh, laugh tracks and it was, that, that's what, and then the more you encouraged him, he's like a incorrigible kid. <laughs> he was going to, uh, continue. So, but when he sat beside you, there's the audience was not there in that, in that respect. So no, I had no problem with it. None at all. You just pick up where you left off and because it was new and you got your rhythm. They, I can't, I could never use that as a, as an excuse. Uh, that's how it was written and we're playing or we're, we're assigned roles. This is what your job description is on this match to, to take us home. So I had no issues with it whatsoever. I thought it, uh, matter of fact, I thought it added to the presentation. We've got, uh, Steve Austin going over here. As we mentioned, uh, Meltzer would say this was similarly booked as most WWF title matches where the heel is going over, there'll be tons of interference and like all Austin matches, lots of brawling, although not as much as usual in the entrance way, he would say undertaker really worked hard and he needed to with such a long match. He said it was a fast paced match early. And this was better than some Austin undertaker bouts of the past, but not as good as the best ones. Uh, of course, triple H comes out with a sledgehammer undertaker kills both of the guys with chairs to the head. And Meltzer says a spot saved for the finish rather than used throughout. 
Vince saved Austin from a pin and then Taker went after Vince. Austin goes to hit Taker with a chair, but instead hits Vince undertaker setting up the last ride. And at this point, Kane does a run in the cameras are on Kane and they totally miss the finish. And that's one of those things that only used to happen in WCW triple H hit undertaker with a sledgehammer and Austin got the pin. Kane arrived a second too late for the save. So even though triple H did the job, he was the one who was the decisive force in the main event. However, Austin did hit both triple H and Vince with a chair shot during the show three and a quarter stars. So you're sitting ringside. Vince is right beside you, or I guess at this point he's in the ring and, and he's actually moving and shaking, not on headsets, but the, but we missed the finish. Yeah. Is this the type of shit that would make the chairman blow a gasket? Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't happy. It was, it was a big disconnect, you know, God damn. It's human error, man. What do you say? Was there a conspiracy? Is there dirt here that we haven't discussed? Was there something in a truck going on that we don't want to talk about after all these years? No human error. And, uh, even though, you know, I think probably Kerwin Silphies was probably the director that day and Kerwin had been there for years and years and always did an admirable job, but he's human. And so he made a mistake. They got the, they had the wrong shot selection, but that should have been addressed by the agent who's sitting in gorilla headphone access should have told the truck again, remember, here's the finish. And as you get closer to it, you're communicating with the truck with Kevin Dunn and his crew. Okay. Watch this, or here's what's going to happen, whatever. And for whatever reason, as I trying to figure out a reason, I can't, it just, that wasn't communicated. And, uh, so uh, several balls were dropped in this main event. And you don't drop balls with Austin and Taker in a, in a championship match. You just don't. And, but we did. And, uh, you know, I'd forgotten about that missing that finish. I remember the match being pretty good. Uh, but it's another one of those deals where it got very convoluted. I look back at this card and there are a lot of outside, you know, we had the other big outside interference was, uh, Kane and triple H. Got a lot of people involved, a lot of pieces to the puzzle were included. So I thought they did a, a decent job creatively on, uh, keeping those at a somewhat of a minimum. So they stayed special. So it's just one of those deals, man. You know, Kerwin was a, was a loyal guy worked there for well over 30 years. It just, it just happened. You know, hell we've all made mistakes. It's live television, man. There's no net. There's no redos. There's no stunt, man. Here's, here's what we got. And here's, here's what you gotta, here's how you gotta present it. And sometimes we miss just to be honest about it. Let me ask in your opinion, who did a better job at what undertaker playing the baby face here or Austin playing the heel? Oh, well, I would go with undertaker playing the baby face. Yeah. Uh, Cause I never thought the option being he was ever going to get over it was swimming upstream continually, you know, uh, recently on the, uh, darks or not the, the A and E special on Booker T they talked about, uh, Booker was talking about all those things. And Steve too, was, uh, it was, it was, uh, on the show talking about the fun they had, like in that grocery store scene, things like that. 
Well, that's where the business had gotten the re- the wrestling, the priority to have great wrestling matches like angle and Benoit, as we've talked about on this show today, became less of a priority. If you can believe that to where a lot more time and energy preparation, crew, staff, whatever was spent on, uh, outside the ring activities, whether it be Steve and Kurt angle singing to each other or Steve and Booker T and the grocery store and other scenarios. It just was a changing of the guard there a little bit. And I don't think for the better. Let's, uh, let's do some questions here. we got several questions. There's no way we get to them all, but I do want to do a handful before we move on. Uh, straight shooting LJA says considering the pay-per-view was on the Arco arena and Ken Shamrock's quote unquote hometown of Sacramento, California. Uh, did you guys have any contact with Ken or at this point was all communication with him long gone? I don't think we had been in communication with Kenny at that point in time, uh, to any degree. Uh, you know, he had, he had his, he'd already been through, he went back. Uh, you know, I tried to convince him with all my might to stay, but he had those, what he told me, you know, I got two or three big fights on the horizon. I could make huge money. And he was, he was not lying. I just was selfish. I wanted to stay with us and not go do that. So I don't think that there was any, uh, no discussion that I can recall Conrad on, uh, on Shamrock on, uh, on that event or anything else in that time frame. Now, Kenny would eventually come back and do some work, I believe, uh, for us. If I'm not mistaken, I may be drawing a blank here, but I don't think at that time there was a spot for him on the card that would make sense for a guy of his stature, uh, just to be thrown in. It wouldn't make sense. Let's, uh, let's do another one here. This one is from, um, straight notes. Another straight shooting. Yeah. I was like, no, that can't be right. Considering this was only about a month and a half after WrestleMania and a few weeks before the invasion angle kicked off, how much was in place for the invasion angle at this point? And how much do you think of the wrestling slash sports entertainment business had already changed by this point? So I'm sure he's referencing how quickly. WCW had gone under and how that had maybe affected business overall, not just within the confines of WWE, but that's a two part question. Let's do that piece. First, did you think the business had changed forever at that point? Or did you always assume there'll be somebody else? Well, I thought that the business is changing uh, forever. It's a long time. Conrad forever. is an awful long time. And as any entertainment entity, as any sports team, you want to improve your brand. You want to get better. You want to build your roster. But I always thought that the bottom line, as somebody once said frequently on interviews that, uh, uh, you know, it would come back around to where the athletic competition facet of the pro wrestling presentation would become significant again, more significant again. And, uh, I think in some companies they're still struggling to get to that balance. It's a matter of how do we entertain? How many laughs did we get? Anytime you put your heels in a situation where they're going to, uh, draw laughter, your, your, your creative is screwed. If you really want them to be a villain, why should I dislike you? If you're a villain, that's making me laugh and entertaining me. 
I, I, I don't get it. Maybe I'm just looking at it wrong. Maybe I'm looking at the little, you know, this, this kind of deal. So I, 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 I don't know, man. I, I think that it was, but you can tell the business is changing and as it, as it worked out because of the Valley that it went in WWE, not too long after that, it wasn't the right way to go. People weren't buying it. Talk to me a little bit about, um, the other part of the question in regards to the invasion, had we already pivoted, you know, we're not too terribly long or, or, or far away from the, the invasion angle becoming a thing. Do you think you guys had already decided, Hey, what if we did the WCW thing and the ECW thing at the same time? I mean, or, or was he still hoping against hope I can put together this TV deal? Well, I think we're all waiting to get a TV deal done. That was the key to everything. You know, I, I had been out there as you documented this deal, having meetings in Atlanta, Los Angeles, Stanford, uh, and try to get the roster together. We didn't need to hire everybody, but we need to have a representative roster that, uh, had a WCW feel. Uh, but, uh, until the TV deal got finalized, which never happened, uh, it was going to be what it was. So it's hard to make long-term plans without television in place. I don't know how you could even consider it. And so that as a result of that and not being able to close the TV deal, we did have a very successful, uh, pay-per-view with uh, invasion the invasion. ain't going to make money, but we didn't have a way of continuing it with a separate show and launching it and making a big deal out of it. Just wasn't there. One more, and then we'll wrap this one up. Uh, this one's from Stonewall. Which of the Angle Benoit trilogy from 01 was Jim's personal favorite? The WrestleMania 17 match, the Backlash Ultimate Submission match, or this Judgment Day two out of three falls match? Well, uh, wow. Man, that's like saying, which of Mickey Mantle's home runs did you like the best? Uh, hard to say, man. Um, I can't remember any of those being significantly better than, a, than the other. Uh, I think their match at WrestleMania 17 got lost a little bit in the, uh, hoopla yep. of, uh, Austin McMahon and rock. Um, I'm not sure, man. I'm looking at this thing. Uh, I, I judgment day had a chance to be the best because it was two out of three falls. We, we jacked it up with all those ridiculous, unnecessary stipulations. So maybe, uh, by, uh, default, I would say, uh, I don't know. It just wasn't my favorite Ben Wild match in WWE was WrestleMania 20. Yeah. I know it wasn't against Kurt. I get that. But Angle and Benoit never had a bad outing. They always had a match that the boys would crowd a crowd around the monitors to watch, observe, because we were all marks for both those guys' work. Uh, but I guess just out of because I don't remember the details of WrestleMania 17's match because of all the other things going on. I guess I'd say the backlash two out of three falls. Again, all I'm going to say about that again is that. It could have been made better if it had just been a two hour, three false match. And those it's a three chapter book, mm-hmm. a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm-hmm. And so if you had taken all that stipulation and all that bullshit away from it, 
they would have told that story would have been chapter one leads to chapter two, chapter two leads to chapter three and the finish. It's real simple to lay out, but we had to go be cute and uh, do something different. You know, sometimes that first time ever shit don't work. Right. Auto it's just because it says first time ever, it, it doesn't mean it's a good idea. Right. It's like saying, well, Conrad just shit his pants in that one episode and first time ever, first time ever he ever took a dump in his, in his drawers. Well, not so, ever just ever on the air. <laughs> so, uh, but I can't remember any matches those guys had that weren't excellent. I love both their, their work and, uh, you sure to tell Kurt, uh, Kurt, that when he record with his show airs on Saturday, right? Uh, yeah. He's on Sunday. Arn is on Sunday. Saturday. Yeah. You move that around. I, I, I apologize. So, uh, but you know, they were, they were brilliant it, it, and the only, you just wish the world could be reversed. Things could be different in a lot of areas, personal life injuries and so forth. Cause the pro wrestling business needs more guys in the ring bell to bell, like uh, Benoit and angle. And so anybody wants to at me at on Twitter or wherever about how could you be so gracious about Chris Benoit? We're talking about bell to bell folks. We're not talking about the husband, the father and the tragedy of the last couple of days of his life. We're not talking about that. I hope you can understand that. Uh, but God damn it. It's really easy. If you can watch his matches, you'll see how extraordinary he was and how our business could use a good dose of a Chris Benoit like in ring performer. And, and hell we all know about Kurt. The thing about Kurt's issue is he could, that son of a gun could probably go out the back in the ring tomorrow and be better than 90% of the guys on the roster. Right. He might not be as, he might not be as good as he ever was, as he once was. But he's as good once as he ever was. <laughs> First my, uh, Toby Keith. <laughs> I was gonna say I've heard that before. <laughs> That's right. I usually fuck it up. Well, you nailed that one. And by the way, if you want to hear more about this match, you can go check out the Kurt Angle show. We did a deep dive on the entire trilogy, including this match. It's available now over at uh, the Kurt Angle show. Anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Next week we're gonna be back talking about a very special performer. And boy, this should be a lot of fun. Your old, great, close, personal friend, Mr. Lex Luger is the subject next week. What do you think we might talk about next week? Just in time for Lex's birthday. Well, you know, uh, he's uh, somewhat, uh, maligned at times because he looks so wonderful. He had such great uh, athletic skills, but I never thought that he totally invested his heart and soul in, in pro wrestling. And I hope that I'm wrong with that assumption. Uh, cause he, he could have been the answer for WCW if it, it just worked out better, but, uh, it'll be interesting to talk about. He's a very complex uh, individual. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I'm glad I got to work with him and, but we didn't always see eye to eye. Cause I was all resting all the time. And of course that may have been the reason too. I was in, I was between marriages and he was, uh, it didn't seem to me like he had that same attitude, right. which doesn't make him wrong. It just makes him different than my anal ass. You know, here I'm just trying to, that's my life. 
Yeah. And a lot of guys that had heat with Luger were in my camp. Pro wrestling was their life. Mm-hmm. Like you. It's it's part of your, your DNA now. Yeah. You, 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 you entered the family, you married into a family. I mean, literally, <laughs> and, and now here you are for pro wrestling is a, makes up a large part of your life. And you, and I'm, I'm would venture to say you wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Having a great time. I sure as hell wouldn't. So, uh, and I want you to continue to have a good time. So, cause I enjoy, uh, I enjoy this whole process and I enjoy the folks listening. It's, it's, a, it's really cool. They give a shit. Hey, we should, like hear, hear what we, say. we should mention before we wrap things up that you guys are getting back on the road. It was announced last week and, and just this past Friday tickets went on sale. AEW getting back out there, man. Yep. Yeah. I'm excited about that. You know, uh, somebody's going to say, well, how do you get excited about going to the airport, going through two more TSA, uh, uh, security points. You gotta, I, you know, here's the deal. I got, I got a lot of airtime. Airplane time, flying time. I'm used to it. And, uh, so it doesn't bother me. And the other thing is we're going out, you know, I'll most generally, I'm going to leave on Tuesdays, Tuesday morning. So I got backups to get to where I need to be Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday, early evening. After the show's over on Wednesday, I'm probably going to, uh, uh, fly back here or at Oklahoma city. And, uh, cause OU has three home games in September. So I'm planning on making those little, I missed every game last year. I'm not going to do that this year. Uh, I have both vaccines. I don't have a problem wearing a mask. I'm not defiant in that respect. So, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it, but we got some really, you know, some of those tickets have been on sale since last year. Right. And, and it's, I, and it, what I find it, considering it cash flow, some people's lives are tenuous. I don't, I don't think the amount of, uh, refunds requested have been amazingly low because people have bought a good seat. They are sitting where they want to sit. They knew at some point in time, we we're going to get far enough along in this COVID, uh, climate to, uh, to get back on the road. So I, I'm excited about it. And you know, we got some really cool places we're going to travel to. I can't remember the ones that went on south first, uh, but they're all viable cities. So I'm looking forward to it, Conrad. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, and, uh, so I don't dread the plane rides and all that stuff. Hey, it's going to come with some, there's going to be some delayed flights. There's going to be some issues. No doubt about it. That's just air travel. But I'm very excited about the fans being able to see what we do in person, uh, with a lot of folks there. And I got to believe that some of these places are going to have, you know, we, we play smaller venues. It's a more intimate setting. Uh, you know, you can do 5,000 people. It looks like there's 20,000 people there because every seat's full. So I'm excited about it. Folks get their tickets early. Uh, dot com can process all that stuff for you. And it's not like we're leaving Jacksonville. We're not, we're still going to be doing a lot of shows in Jacksonville, but, uh, getting back on the road, I think is a great move for our company. It's a great move for our talent because some of these young cats haven't had that many opportunities to wrestle in front of a big crowd. I think it's going to increase the work rate. I think it's going to be more exciting. It adds a lot of pep to my step. I can tell you, because there's nothing like the adrenaline you can, you can, uh, 
take from the audience. They motivate me. And so I'm excited about getting that back out there and, uh, and having some fun with it. So stay tuned for that, Connie. So we're going to be good. And maybe down the road too, we start doing some, uh, some shows tied to the, uh, to these, to these tours. You know? Yeah. Well, lots of people have asked, are we going to reschedule the show in Rochester? We're going to see what happens when we get back on the road. Stay tuned. Uh, I know that uh, both Tony and JR would like to actually deliver on that show that we've had yeah. to sort of stop and start a few times because of COVID, but we're not starping barbecue and boy, everybody's talking about jrsbbq.com. Lots of people itching to get that all purpose seasoning, but no matter what you're looking for, there's something for everybody, whether you're talking about main event mustard or chipotle ketchup and two different versions of the barbecue sauce. And it's all happening at jrsbbq.com, right, Jim? Yes, sir, buddy. And you know, the thing that we got a hot streak, uh, we're making big strides, positive strides, get everything back in stock. We got to anticipate our sales and our, the run on certain products better than we did in the past. I'll take the hit for that. Cause I own the, it's my brand. So, uh, but we're going to taking major steps to make sure that doesn't occur. Uh, but what we're doing Conrad right now is that, you know, we, we found about 50 copies or so of the old, uh, JR's cookbook. So I'm going to sign those. We're going to sell those 50 books. Uh, and then we're still selling the hell out of where we personalize, uh, uh, under the black hat or slobber knocker. So the book business has taken another big breath and to, and the sales of, the, of under the black hat and sovereign knocker, by the way, are very strong. So, uh, I had a meeting. Oh, hell. Maybe just a few days ago about book number three was with that, with Simon and Schuster Tiller press. So it's something I got to brainstorm with Paul O'Brien about, and anybody's got any good ideas that like included in the third book, you know, you're always welcome to, to tweet me, message me or tweet me, whatever you want to do. I kind of like to know what people are thinking, you know, because you've seen, I've taken it so far, uh, chronologically. So we left off under the black hat, unfortunately with Jan's, uh, passing, but also, uh, you know, I just signed a deal with AEW. So, uh, you know, I don't know that that's the way to go or there's something else, uh, topics that might be interesting to cover, maybe a series of shorter stories, but, uh, we're thinking about doing that deal. And there's still interest in LA about, uh, under the black hat becoming something on video. So, you know, who knows? I, all I know is that we're going to go back on the road. We're going to do live wrestling in front of people. And, and that's going to be a, a great situation. But in, in the meantime, you can visit for free at jrsbbq.com. And we appreciate everybody's support very much. And we'll see you next week right here. Talking all things Lex Luger on grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Thanks Conrad and have you on the Mr. Folks. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your business. Have a good day. Hey, everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, 
and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.